Well, real estate agents would say it's all about location. Um, someone on the stock market would say it's all about a return on investment. Uh, social media influencers would say it's all about likes and clicks and followers and friends. An addict would say it's all about getting that, that fix or that high. Toronto Maple Leaf fans would say it's all about that misery. What, 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 what's it all about for you? If someone were to follow you around 24-7 and listen in on every conversation and be up to date on every financial transaction and, and if they could even get inside your mind and think about every thought, if they were to look at, at your life, and, and what would they conclude? What would they say it's all about? I mean, we would hope that it would be all about Jesus, that our very heartbeat, our whole life, everything that we're going after would be centered on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What if someone were to observe this church and come to a couple of services and, and visit a few small groups and, and, and listen in on the conversations around, around the foyer and, and in, the, uh, in the counseling room or, or wherever they may be, what would someone conclude? Because there, there are a lot of churches, and, and our church is not beyond this, there are a lot of churches that if you observe what is going on and listen to what is going on and you observe how finances and resources are being allocated and what the focus is on, it's not always all about Jesus. Sometimes it's all about the pastor. Uh, sometimes it's all about a program. Sometimes it's all about attendance numbers. Sometimes it's all about uh, experiencing some sort of prosperity financial blessing. Sometimes it's all about tradition or all about politics, all about music style or Bible translation. It's, it's easy for us to look out at the world and say, well, they're living for something other than Jesus. But sometimes the church can get off track and, and start to focus on things that, that, where the main thing is not the main thing. And the aim of this series is, is to remind ourselves that it's, that it's all about Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about how we relate to Jesus as his followers, as his disciples. These are four words that we use a lot around here at Hope Church. It's, it's worship, walk, work, and a witness. That, that this, is, this is what Jesus has called us to do as we relate to him as individuals and as members of the Hope Church family. We want Jesus at the center here. We, we've been uh, looking at this diagram a, a bunch throughout this series. Jesus is at the center, and we want to be worshiping him, walking with him, working for him, and witnessing about him in a way that's biblical, relational, and prayerful. So, so today the outline is just really uh, simple. We're just going to go through these four W's. This will be new to some of us, a review for, uh, for others, but, but th this is how we are to relate to Jesus. This is how we keep the main thing the main thing. Worship is not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. Walking with Jesus, doing our devotions, gathering in small groups, that is an important thing, but it's not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. Working, serving, using our gifts is important, but it's not the main thing. And witnessing, of, of course, is very important, but that is not the main thing. It is all about Jesus. So we start with worshiping Jesus together. 
our, our goal as we relate to Jesus, it's, it all starts with worship. And even as we find the story of Jesus unfold in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. As the story is getting started, we're going to turn to a number of different passages. I'll have them on the screen for us as well. We see that it started with worship and this theme of the worship of Jesus Christ as the King of Kings, as, as, as the Son of God, this theme of worship follows Jesus around everywhere that he goes. Look with me at Matthew chapter 2 uh, verse 11. You'll see it here on the screen. This is the Magi who arrived in Jerusalem and created this stir because they wanted to find this new king who had been born. And look at what it says says in chapter 2 verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They worshipped him. Now, there were some children here on these steps earlier today, and we smiled at them, and we sang along, we we worshipped Jesus together with them, and when they were finished, we applauded them, we thanked them for coming, but no one came forward and bowed down and worshipped any of these children, because that would be insane. And yet here are these magi, educated men, wise men, grown men, who find a child in a home and bow down and worship him and give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. He was worshipped right from the very beginning. And then in Matthew 14, verse 33, when, when Jesus had calmed the storm, he fell asleep on the boat and there's this massive storm, they're afraid that they're going to die, and Jesus calms the storm and those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. As we follow the story of the life of Jesus, we see people giving him the worship that he deserves and him receiving it as the worthy recipient of praise and worship. We see it at his resurrection when he's discovered out of the tomb. It says that, behold, Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. That's Matthew 28 of verse 9. Also in Matthew 28, in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. These are his disciples. Jesus was worshipped at his birth. He was worshipped all throughout his ministry and worshiped at his resurrection as well. The Apostle Paul sums up the idea of Jesus being worshiped in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 to 11 where Paul says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has been exalted. Our responsibility as creatures, we happen to be creatures who live on the earth, but there are other creatures who live under the earth. And every creature one day is going to bow the knee and to declare with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is our privilege to be able to do that here this morning. We relate to Jesus by worshiping him 
And ultimately, this is where it's all headed. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 to 13, there's this incredible vision of uh, a lamb uh, who's also a lion, and he's on a throne, and he's living, but he's also standing there as though he had been slain. He's a lamb, and he's a lion. He's living, and yet it's like he's dead. And it says, they sang a new song, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And they heard, notice this, same as Philippians 2, they heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, let's say this together, saying to him who sits, oh, hold on, time out, time out. Okay, this is our practice, right? Like this is, this is gonna happen for us. This moment is going to be real for us. And it's not just gonna be us. There's gonna be people from every tribe and language and nation and, and, and tongue. Not only that, but every other creature, the giraffes and the hippopotamuses and the birds, they're all gonna be saying this. So we don't want our part. We don't wanna mess up our part, okay? We, we don't wanna be there in the new heavens and the new earth. We don't wanna be there and be like, to him be glory and honor, okay? All right, so you guys ready? Okay, three, two, one. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's pretty good. We still got to do a few more reps, I think, but you can do that uh, later this afternoon. We got to work on that, guys. This is, this is what we're going to do forever and ever is to declare that Jesus is worthy H.B. Uh, Charles uh, says that, that he, he, he says the, to worship is to ascribe worth. The meaning of the word worship is worth-ship. You worship what you think is worth something. Jesus is worth more than anything. He says to worship is to ascribe worth. The legitimacy of worship is based on the worthiness of the object. And loved ones, we have the most worthy object in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is to be our worthy recipient of our worship. He is worth more than anything this world can offer us. Jesus uh, told us in, in Matthew 6, you want to talk about something being worth something as it relates to money and worship. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That, that word serve is closely related to the understanding of worship. We live in a world that we worship our bank account. We worship the things that we can buy or the security that we feel because of money. But Jesus is the ultimate worth. That, that's why we still collect an offering in our worship services because this is a way of us regularly putting to death the idol of money. We cannot serve money and Jesus and so we use our money to serve Jesus and it's included as a part of our worship service. Jesus not only received worship but he also gave instruction with regards to how worship is supposed to be carried out. He got in a religious conversation with a Samaritan uh, woman in John chapter 4. 
And she asked him a question about the location of worship. Because Samaritans worshipped in one place. The Jewish people obviously worshipped in a temple. And then Jesus, with, with messianic authority, in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, says, the, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's how we're to worship. Spirit and in truth. He goes on to say, For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. You you can't confine God to a building. It's, It's bigger than that. It's greater than that. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So here's... Here's a few questions I want to ask you. Are are you a a worshiper who is worshiping in spirit and in truth? The first question is about your spirit. Is your spirit convicted by the holiness of God? Do you recognize the the otherness, the, 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 the truth about who God is? Is your spirit convicted by the fact that you are a sinner and that he is a perfect and holy God? Is your spirit convicted by God's holiness? Secondly, is is my mind cleansed by God's word? Are are, are we worshiping in truth? Are we allowing the truth of God's word to dictate how we worship? Or are we just, as as we sung about earlier, are, are we being are we following our feelings? Are allowing feelings to form us? Or are we allowing the truth of God's word to cleanse us? And then is my heart captured by God's love? Do I realize that that God loves me and gave his son for me? Is my will conformed to God's plan? Or do we, you know, do we come to God, you know, we, we we sing the old meatloaf song, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Jesus, I love you and I follow you, but I won't follow you, I won't follow you there. It is our, our will saying, God, whatever your plan is, wherever you're leading me, I will, I will go. Is my life connected to God's people? Is my life connected to God? Have I come just as a solo worshiper or have I come to be connected to the body of Christ? And then lastly, is my body language consistent with all of the above? Is my body like, because like, we can be saying some things or singing some things, but our, our, our posture just sort of says, says it all, you know? Is our body language reflective of, of the spirit and truth worship that we, are, that we are engaged in? So our goal here at Hope we, is to worship, and we want to worship biblically. And when we talk about worshiping biblically, we mean by reading, singing, praying, and preaching God's word, and displaying God's word through baptism and and communion. So the word of God dictates how we worship, and the tools that we use in worship, the word of God is to be central in all of the reading, the singing, the praying, and the preaching. We're also called to worship relationally by by doing all of the above with one another and for one another. The typical typical, meme of worship 
in the 2020s in North America is an individual person isolated in a crowd with their hands raised and their eyes closed. Almost as though the congregation is only here to help facilitate a personal moment between you and God. Now, that's part of worship. But that is not the only part of worship. We are supposed to worship relationally. A biblical perspective of worship will involve times where arms are raised, eyes are closed, where we're focused on the Lord. But biblical worship, relational worship, means our eyes are open. And, and we are not just here to facilitate our own individual experiences with God. We are here with one another and for one another. And that the, the hearing other believers sing, looking at other believers and seeing how God is at work in their lives. Not just taking communion when people come forward to take communion. Eyes open, looking at the body of Christ, not just head down. There are, there are moments for personal worship, but we've, we're so individualized and so experience-oriented in the West and in our current cultural climate that we forget the idea that we're part of a body. We belong to one another. So we worship relationally. And then lastly, we worship prayerfully. We worship prayerfully by praying before, after, and during our services. We depend on the Lord Jesus Christ and express that through prayer. So it's all about Jesus. It starts with worshiping Jesus. Here's the second. It's, it's walking with Jesus. It's, it's walking with Jesus. Jesus uh, walked a lot. I mean, he got in a boat a few times. He rode on the donkey that one time. But uh, he spent most of his time uh, walking. And he invited his disciples to walk with him. This is how the, the gospel of Mark gets going in chapter 1, verse 17. Jesus comes to his disciples. He says, follow me and I will make you uh, become fishers of men. And then he clarifies for them the cost of discipleship. Mark eight thirty four. if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He told the rich young ruler, he said, one thing you lack Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Jesus was continually telling people to come and walk with him. And, and what he asked them to do physically in real time and real space as he was here on the earth, walking the earth, he, he invited people to walk with him. But it was also true metaphorically. Jesus said in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus here is speaking metaphorically, right? When he's saying, I am the light of the world, he's not saying that he's a light. He, he, he's, he's God incarnate. He's Jesus Christ, the son of God. He's not a light. He's speaking metaphorically. And then the metaphor unfolds. It says that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Walk. Walking here is a metaphor. It doesn't mean that if you choose to follow Jesus that, that it's never nighttime or that the lights never go out. He's saying that your walk, which is a metaphor for the way that you live your life. We are to walk with 
Jesus. He's the light of the world. And if we walk with him, we will always have light. We will always have clarity. We will always have purity. We will always have wisdom. All of these things that light symbolizes. And then, of course, the apostles pick up on this. And we see all throughout uh, the New Testament, all of these examples of how we're supposed to walk, to walk in newness of light, to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, to walk by faith and not by sight, to walk in love, to walk in the light, to walk with wisdom. Now, some of us, if you read a New International Version, they actually, they actually translate that word walk as live your life. They translate the metaphor. The New Testament is always using this metaphor of 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 walking for the way that we are to live our lives, walking with Jesus, following Jesus. He's the one who sets the direction of where we're going. We're walking with him. We're following him. He's the one who sets the pace. Sometimes he wants to move faster. Sometimes he wants us just to stand still. But we're walking with him, allowing him to lead us so that we would be able to follow. Walking with someone is intentional. You know what it's like if you walk with someone who's got longer legs than you or shorter legs than you. Some of us are, you know, are fat, driven A-type personalities, walk fast. Others are more, you know, laid back, have a bit of a, have a, bit of a saunter. Depending who you're walking with, you've got to figure out how they walk. If you want to be able to keep in step with them. And, and our aim is to keep in step with Jesus as we walk with him. We've got to be intentional. Jesus wants to take us places. We, we're here right now in our life and Jesus meets us right here and he loves us right here the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so he says, come on, we're going over here. You're in this place right now. I've met you in this place. I can't, I can't let you stay here. So we're going to walk. I'm, here, follow me. We're going to go to a better place. We're going to go to a place of greater fruitfulness and greater growth and greater spirit filling. This is what walking with Jesus means. And we can really walk with Jesus in, a, in, in, in two main ways, individually and in community. In our own personal Bible reading, in our times of prayer, we're walking with Jesus. This is how we're getting our steps in sync with his steps. Where we're talking to him through prayer and he's talking to us through his word. That's, that's the main way that, that we, we get the sense of direction and the sense of pace in how we ought to be walking. But if you follow Jesus long enough, he's going to lead you right into a community. Jesus will never just sort of lead you on your own. Jesus will lead you into community. You guys know that really powerful poem, Footprints in the Sand? Someone, someone for sure has that on a plaque uh, on your, uh, in your hallway somewhere, you know what I'm talking about? This idea that you saw a pair of footprints and, and then there's only one footprint and the person's kind of upset. Jesus, like, where were you? And then Jesus says, I was, I was carrying you at that time. I love that. I love that. It's a beautiful picture. It sort of, you know, it has this like, sort of M. Night Shyamalan sort of twist ending. You know, you always expecting that. But the truth is, the way it ought to be and the way it is for so many people who are going through difficulty here at Hope Church is that it, on the beach there's a couple of sets of footprints and then it doesn't go down to one. There's actually like five or six other sets of prints. Because if Jesus is going to carry you, he's going to carry you by bringing a community around you. That's, that's his intention. The idea of just having two footprints, is, the, the whole premise, again, you don't have to take the plaque down, but the whole, pre- <laughs> the whole premise of the poem is flawed. 
because it implies that it's just you and Jesus. Just me, eyes closed, hands raised, no community, just me. But that's not, listen, if you start to follow Jesus, there will be two prints initially, and then five steps later, there's gonna be, he's going to lead you right into community. The question is, are we going to follow him? Are, are we going to follow him into those communities? Because there are things that Jesus wants to do for us through community, things like being taught by one another, confessing our sin to one another, correcting one another because we have sin that we don't always see, and encouraging one another because sometimes we stumble and we fall. So we're walking with Jesus together, and it's got to happen together. See, here's the thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer nailed it when it comes to isolation. He says, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive the power of sin over him. Jesus wants you to put sin to death in your life. He doesn't want you to live in slavery. He wants you to live in freedom. And so to help you live in freedom, he will lead you into community where you can be taught and where you can confess, where you can be corrected, and where you can be, where you can be encouraged. And so as we think about walking with Jesus, we want to do this biblically. We want to do this biblically by reading, studying, and living God's word individually and in community. That, that's, that's what we're about. And again, it all centered. We don't just get together just to say, hey, how's it going? Talking about the Leafs and how miserable a life is. Uh, we, are, we are gathering together around the word of God, teaching the word of God to one another, encouraging one another. The word of God is central. We got to do it biblically. And there's biblical ways of, of, of relating to one another as well. If we're going to follow the Bible, we're going to come across all those one another statements in the Bible. That there's all these things we're supposed to do for one another. Forgive one another, love one another, care for one another. And so we got to do that relationally. we got to walk with Jesus relationally by meeting together for teaching, mutual care, accountability, confession, correction, and encouragement. We can't do it on our own. And then we got to do it prayerfully by communing with God through personal prayer and through play, praying for and with one another. For and with one another. Not just like sharing prayer requests and then saying, yeah, I'll pray for you later. Pray for that person right then and there. Whether it's here in the auditorium, out in the foyer, in the parking lot, someone shares something that they're struggling with, hey, let's just pray about it right now. It doesn't have to be some long prayer, just a couple of sentences. God, help so-and-so with such and such a problem. Amen. To, to pray for one another and with one another. This is how the community grows together in our walk with Jesus. So as we're following Jesus, we're we're worshiping him, we are walking with him, and then, and then thirdly, we are working for Jesus. We are using our God-given abilities to, to build up the body of Christ. Next week, we're going to be looking at a baptism and a communion, and when Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples, before he did that, it says in John chapter 13, uh, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Notice how specific. John just wants to give us a play by play. First, Jesus understood his identity. He knew that he was the son of God. And you're never going to serve or work effectively if you're trying to serve or work in order to accomplish an identity. Our identity comes already from our relationship with God and that from that identity, that is what empowers us to humbly serve others. But John's like, look at verse four. He's like, you're never gonna get this. In the, middle of, in the middle of supper, he got up. He rose from supper. Then he laid aside his outer garments and, and then he took a towel and then he tied it around his waist. He's like, you, can you believe that the son of God would do this? And, and then, verse, verse five, then he poured water into a basin and then he began to wash his disciples' feet and then he wiped them with the towel that was right, just play by play by play, step by step. The rest of the Gospel of John doesn't have this kind of detail when Jesus does, performs miracles or does certain things, but here he just slows down. Like an NFL analyst just saying, stop right there, stop right there. And I want to show you this. I want to show you that. I want to break this down. I want, why? Why is it getting broken down? Why is there all of the sequence of him taking off his garment, putting on a towel, getting up from dinner, pouring water in a basin, washing the feet, wiping the feet? Why all of this detail? It's because of what Jesus says next. In verse 12, it says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. He understood his identity. He says, if I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, for I gave you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. It gets slowed down because Jesus tells them, I want you to live like this. I, I want you to get up from dinner and I, I want you to, to humble yourself by taking off your outer garments. I, I want you to, to do menial work cleaning people's feet. I want you to do these things. Jesus rarely says, I've done this so that you could have an example. He didn't walk on the water and then say, I've done this so that you would have an example so that you would go and do likewise. Jesus didn't feed thousands of people and say, I've done this so that you could, he didn't even preach and tell his disciples, I've done this to to give you an example of how, no. But when he serves, he says, this is what you need to do. This, this is what I'm calling, how I'm calling my disciples to imitate me by being willing to step up and to serve. I love what it says in Mark 10, verse 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to be served. How many of us came to church today to be served? How many of us came to church today so that someone else could look after our kids, so that someone else could make sure that the building was open, so that the building's secure, so that someone else could pour you a cup of coffee, so that someone else could collect the offering, so that someone else could could, uh, uh, develop small group leaders and everything else is happening? How many of us came to, just, just be honest, did you come to church to be served today or did you come to church to serve today? 
Because the Son of Man came not to be served. So if we came here today to serve, that's a problem and it needs to change. Sunday's a work day. It's a work day for the church family. We got, we got to come with the mindset of I am here to serve. That should mean that we're regularly scheduled to do something for the body of Christ. That's the starting point. But it's, it's not just a schedule. It's a mindset of I am not just coming to church to have my personal moment with Jesus and to hear some teaching and maybe meet some new people and have an amazing cup of coffee, best church coffee in Ontario for sure. I'm not just coming to be served because I'm coming following Jesus. And so if I come to church to be served, Jesus isn't going where I'm going because Jesus has come not to be served but to serve. And so we, we have to have that mindset. Who can I serve in the body of Christ today? Because you can be on a schedule and still not come ready to serve. We all should be on a schedule, but we all got to have that mindset on a schedule or not. We got to be ready to serve others, to step outside of our comfort zone. The Apostle Peter, who had his feet washed by Jesus, was forever transformed by that, by that moment. And, and Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Use it to follow the example that Jesus has made for, one another, for us as good stewards of God's varied grace. A steward is someone who is managing something that doesn't belong to them. God has given us a gift, but it's not really our gift. The gift is supposed to be used for the church to serve other people. There's different ways that we can serve. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. I happen to have a speaking gift. But that doesn't mean that I only can serve through speaking. I can also serve through serving. It says whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We've got to do it prayerfully. We've got to rely on God's strength. And our focus, again, it's all about Jesus, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Everyone say, amen, amen. This is, this is what we are called to do. We've all been given a gift. And we're all supposed to use that to serve the body of Christ. And we're supposed to do it biblically. Biblically, by following the example of God's Son and the commands from God's Word to serve one another. We don't serve because necessarily there's a need, although the needs are very real. We serve because we're commanded to serve. We, we serve because we're following Jesus, and He said, follow me as I do this. This is an example. We also serve relationally. By recognizing that we are members of one body and are each uniquely gifted to contribute to the body's health and growth. And that when we serve together, this is, this is how we build relationships within the body of Christ. The people who are on our ministry teams, whether it be the youth ministry team or the kids ministry or worship ministry or the cafe team, they develop a bond, they develop relationship through serving with each other, and then they also develop relationships with the people who they are serving, the children or the youth or, or, the, or the people who are, who are stopping by the cafe. Relationships are, are always at the center. And then lastly, we, we, we work prayerfully by humbly praying that God would use our gifts and our efforts 
for his glory, as we depend on him, as we rely on the strength that he supplies, 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us to do. So we're worshiping Jesus together. We are walking with Jesus together. We are working for Jesus together. And then lastly, we are witnessing about Jesus together. We are witnessing about Jesus together. After Jesus had that conversation with that woman from Samaria, Jesus told uh, his disciples, he says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The disciples had their heads down. They were only focused on their own needs. They were really only focused on their own people group. They were just focused on the, the, the Jewish people. And Jesus as the Messiah for the Jewish people. And Jesus tells his disciples after having this conversation with this woman from Samaria who was despised by the Jewish people, Jesus says, hey, hey, lift up your eyes. Look around. This is not just for you. This is for everybody. And, and Jesus says the fields are white. That means you, you better get out there with your sickle or your combine and you better start harvesting because we don't want the crop to be rotting on the vine. And so get out there. There are incredible opportunities to share the gospel. Listen, people are ready. People are ready. I know there's all kinds of challenges in our culture right now, but there's a lot of people who are not buying it. And they are looking for answers and they are looking for truth and they are looking for a way that makes sense. And loved ones, we have it. And so loved ones, we need to open up our eyes and, and to start conversations with our coworkers and our classmates and our neighbors and our family members. Because, because I, I believe that there is going to be a movement of people returning to the Lord or coming to the Lord. Because because the way that the world is headed can't do anything but lead to disappointment and confusion and destruction and dysfunction and death. The fields are white. This is an opportunity, not for us to retreat, but for us to press forward and to be bold. This is what Jesus wanted his disciples to see. Lift up our eyes. Don't just think about our thing. Think globally. Because the fields are white. And Jesus told his disciples that, again, he, he gave an example. He said in John chapter 20, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus came as a sent one. Jesus left his comfort zone. Is there any greater comfort zone than, than being a, a member of the Trinity living uh, yeah, in, in heaven, in, in, in perfection, he left his comfort zone. He took on flesh. As the Father sent the Son, we are being sent. We are being sent to leave our comfort zone. The word missions, is, it just comes from the, from the Latin translation of that Greek word for send. I am sending you. I am missio. I'm, I'm missioning you. That's what mission means. It means to be sent. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's where the power comes to, to share our faith. Uh, let's go back to John 20. 
And he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. He's not giving his disciples authority to be able to forgive. But if they respond, if people respond to the gospel, that's evidence that their sin has been forgiven and that they have received the gift of eternal life. And then Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, also after he was resurrected, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We're called to be witnesses. A witness just says what happened. So if your life has been changed by Jesus, you have a story to tell. Now some of us have like a really exciting testimony a crazy story of living our life this way. Others of us might feel a little bit more sheepish because we grew up in a Christian home. I had someone share with me an article recently. It was so, so powerful. He says, don't be ashamed to share your faith if you became a Christian raised in a Christian home. Here's why. Because teenagers and young adults tend to rebel against whatever their parents try to teach them. And so it's actually a huge miracle that you actually chose, because you know for sure you didn't choose it because your parents wanted you to. Because everything, everything in our culture and the world says, don't do what your parents say. But you, if, if you grew up in a Christian home, you have a powerful testimony to say, I know Disney kills the parents in the first five minutes of every movie. And I, I know that no one should, we're always being told that we shouldn't listen to authority figures in our lives. But listen, I, I thought that I shouldn't listen to my parents. But I, listen, if, for me, it's not about listening to my parents. It's about listening to Jesus. And so I, I chose to follow him. All of you are thinking about all these Disney movies now. It's like, yeah, wow, it's true. And so we got to be bold. We got to be witnesses. Just say what happened. It's not, it's not the, your ability to tell a story that is going to save people. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And he told them, we got to go to Jerusalem and all Judea. The disciples were like, check, okay, yeah, we'd be happy to go there. We're from there. And then he said, Samaria, those despised people, that's way out of their comfort zone. It's still local, but it's way out of their comfort zone. And then to the ends of the earth, globally, this is what we are called to as, uh, as witnesses. And so we're, again, we're committed to, to doing this biblically. What does it mean for us to be witnesses biblically? By sharing the gospel message, which is found in the Bible, to the lost. And by training disciples to go and make disciples, because that's biblical. So we, be, this, we want this to be a training ground where people can go and be sent out to share the good news of Jesus Secondly, we want to do it relationally by building relationships and sharing the gospel with unbelievers and by witnessing as a church community. Witnessing as a church community. This, this, is, what we are, this is what we are called to do. And we see it happen time and time again here at Hope Church. Someone develops a relationship with a coworker or a neighbor and they start sharing the gospel with them. They invite them to come to church. And that person has played a huge role to get them to that part. But then they get to the church and they meet someone at the welcome center or at the cafe. Or they, they can't believe their kids are being looked after by these leaders at Hope Kids. And the body of Christ collectively acts as a witness. We don't just witness individually like it's all up to. We, we, got, we want to get people to church as quickly as possible. Yes, we have a role to play as individuals to share the gospel. 
But the God, listen, you're just one part of the body. You're just an eyeball or an ear. If you bring them to church, they see the whole picture. And relationships are built. Jesus said, even in the way that we love one another, that's supposed to be a witness to the world. John 13, 35, that they will know that you are my disciples by my love. So we, we witness relationally. And then we witness prayerfully, of course, because by praying for boldness to, to share the gospel, for God to open the hearts of the people who hear, and for God to send more laborers into the harvest. So we, loved ones, we, we worship Jesus, we walk with him, we work for him, and then we witness of him. And all of these things overlap. And they kind of cycle Around. I love the way Isaac Adams describes it. He says, mission is no clunky add-on to your delighting in God. He says, instead, it is the natural overflow and expression of the enjoyment you have of him. So that like him, you gladly go out to fill the world with his goodness. Oh, sorry, with the word of his goodness. And as we grow in the knowledge and love of this God, we'll find blossoming in ourselves his own desire to see the world filled with his blessing. Isaac Adams talks about delighting in God. That's worshiping Jesus. Growing in our knowledge and love of him. That's walking with him. And then, and then going out and it all cycles with one another. And so as we're committed to worshiping and walking, let's go to the next slide, and working and witnessing, that will just fuel more worship, and the worship will fuel more evangelism. And so this is what we're aiming to do here as a church family. I love the way uh, Isaac Adams describes it. I also love the way the Apostle Peter sums it up. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's worship. That's recognizing that it's all about Jesus. And when it starts with worship, then what happens? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. We worship Jesus. He's in our hearts. We honor him as holy and then, as we're walking with him, we are more prepared and more ready to give a defense for the reason, for the hope that we have. And our character is growing because we want to win the person's soul and not just win an argument. We do it with gentleness and respect. It's worship, it's walk, it's work, and it's overflowing into witness so that that person could become a worshiper and the cycle repeats. So loved ones, this is what we're about here at Hope. It's all about Jesus. It's all about worshiping him, walking with him, working for him, and witnessing uh, about him. Let, let's bow our heads uh, and, and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name praying for your help. Lord, I, I pray for the people who are like me, uh, who know these things, uh, yet so often we fall short of what we know. So often the word that we need to hear is the words of our Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? And so Lord, I pray that you would close the gap between uh, what we know and how we live. 
And God, I, I pray for those who are newer to Hope Church or who are newer to following Jesus, who are just trying to take in all the content that was just received. Lord, I, just, I pray. I pray for those who are sort of seasoned in the faith and longtime members here at Hope or those who are new in the faith or new to Hope Church. I pray, God, that you would give us one or two things that we could put into action in the next 24 hours to close that gap between what we know and, and how we live. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to love you. I pray that you would help us to love the body of Christ. I pray that you would help us to love the lost. And I pray that you would help us to be found faithful in all that you've entrusted to us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.